Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program. Let's get started. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. It is December 7th, 2021, the 80th anniversary of the vicious attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese military. I don't want to go into the long, boring details, although the many, many lives who were lost and lives who were changed directly as a result of the December 7th, 1941 attack on our military base in Oahu, Pearl Harbor to be exact, in Hawaii, should not be diminished in its potency, in its messaging. At that time, the United States of America was an ally of China, believe it or not. Japan's military might was growing, and with their assistance to and assistance from Germany and Italy, the Axis powers sought to take over the entire planet. They weren't sure whether the United States would intervene, so they goaded the United States into war by attacking our Navy base at Pearl Harbor. Thousands of lives were lost. The current day equivalent of billions upon billions of dollars in military equipment was also lost. So take a few moments today. If you know some of the very few, the people in their late 80s, early, well, they would have to be in their 90s or their early 100s now if they served actively at that time. But many of your grandparents, many of the elderly folk that you know nowadays, perhaps lost a family member, a parent, an uncle, a cousin, during World War II. So take a moment today and think about what happened, Pearl Harbor, this day, December 7th, 1941. It was very fortunate, you could say, that this happened on a Sunday. You see, the Japanese weren't too, too familiar with the Christian and Judeo nation, uh, nature rather, of the American forces. How many Christians there were, how many Jews there were in the military. And instead of those people being on the ships that were destroyed as the first wave of nearly 200 aircraft came across the ocean and attacked those vessels in the harbor. Many, a great, great many of the sailors and soldiers on Pearl Harbor happened to be at chapel that morning, worshiping and praying to their God. The USS Enterprise was an aircraft carrier that should have been there at Pearl Harbor, but something happened. A freak accident had occurred which kept the Enterprise a very massive arsenal, floating arsenal, from uh, entering Pearl Harbor as it was scheduled to do. Japanese military intelligence thought that all three of the aircraft carriers operated by the United States Navy were supposed to be in Pearl Harbor on that fateful day which would likely have turned the tide of World War II strongly against the United States. 
After all, we only had three at the time, and they were all supposed to be there in the port at Pearl Harbor. But all three were out on missions when the attack occurred. The destruction that the Japanese attack wrought was immense. All eight of our battleships that were at the harbor were heavily damaged or sunk. Three destroyers, three cruisers, and several other small vessels were also destroyed that day. One of the carriers that was meant to be at Pearl Harbor that day would live in infamy, as we all know. It was the USS Enterprise. And the name Enterprise was so striking that Gene Roddenberry decided to use it as the name of the flagship on the iconic television series and movie franchise known as Star Trek. A month before the attack, the Enterprise was commanded by Vice Admiral William Halsey, Jr., but it was sent on its top-secret mission to Wake Island in the Pacific. It was not at Pearl Harbor that day and therefore could not be destroyed by the Japanese air assault. Now, the assault on Pearl Harbor is one of history's most famous sneak attacks, and the deteriorating relationship between the U.S. and Japan was no secret. In the weeks leading up to the attack on Pearl Harbor, tensions between the U.S. and Japan were quite high. The U.S. was concerned Japan might launch an attack in their territory somewhere in the Pacific, Intelligence at the time suggested that that attack would occur on Wake Island and would be a surprise. And that was a technique the Japanese sneaky bastards were using. Wake Island had recently been reinforced by a Marine Corps garrison, but this would not be able to hold off a large-scale attack. So because of this, Admiral Kimmel assigned Halsey to a top-secret mission in November of 41 to ferry large groups of reinforcements Wake Island Marines. To make the journey, Halsey took the Enterprise, nine destroyers, and three heavy cruisers. They were designated as Task Force 8. Naturally, the U.S. did not want the Japanese Army to know about the mission, so they made it without being discovered. Sneaky. See, Wake Island is much closer to Tokyo than it is to Hawaii. Halsey was expecting war, so Task Force 8 would sail to Wake Island under warlike conditions. The aircraft were armed, the ships prepared guns, the men stood at the ready. There wasn't supposed to be any civilian shipping between Pearl Harbor and Wake Island, so Halsey told his men to sink any shipping sighted, shoot down any plane encountered. He was fully prepared to kick ass and kick off a war between the U.S. and Japan all by himself with his eight ships. When he was questioned on who would take responsibility for starting a war, he said, I'll take it. If anything gets in my way, we'll shoot first and argue afterwards. He was a badass. They reached Wake Island without detection on December 4th, and they offloaded their cargo of military members of the Marines as well as lots and lots of heavy equipment, and then they started their journey back towards their port, which was Pearl Harbor. They were scheduled to arrive back at Pearl Harbor on the evening of December 6th, which, unknown to them, would have meant the Enterprise would have been a sitting duck when the Japanese attacked on Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th. 
But you see, Task Force 8 encountered a storm on their trip back, which slowed them down. They split one of the destroyer's seam, adding to the delay even more. Because of this, Task Force 8 became Task Force 7 and would not reach Pearl Harbor until the evening at 7.30 p.m. on December 7th, at the very earliest. They were again delayed while refueling, bumping their arrival even further. Because of random occurrences, the vessels in Task Force 8 were not present when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor and allowed them to stay and fight another day. This came back to haunt the Japanese because the Enterprise would go on to battle them throughout the Pacific, and by the end of the war, the Enterprise collected 20 battle stars and was the most decorated naval ship, having destroyed over a thousand aircraft and sunk 71 Japanese vessels. The Japanese announced that they had sunk her three times. Those rumors were false. The Enterprise came back each time, earning her the name the Grey Ghost. So today, if you know someone who served in World War II, or you know someone who lost a family member in World War II, please take just a moment of time to let them know you're thinking about them. This is the Truth Hurts Program. You might notice today's program sounds just a little different than the normal Truth Hurts program sound. We are not in Studio 63 today. I'm in an undisclosed location recording on the phone. So I apologize if the sound quality is not up to par, but it is what it is, what it is, what it is. Let's buzz through the headlines for just a moment. Business Insider writes, The U.S. military needs to realize that magic bullets don't win wars. It's no longer airplanes noisily flying over and dropping actual physical bombs that we need to worry about. For as long as most of us can remember, the U.S. has been the most powerful nation in the world. Technically, it still is, but we have a weak, feeble commander-in-cheat running the show. And... Although America's dominance is beginning to fray as nations like China and Russia and others developed way, develop ways to counter U.S. material advantages or just ramp up their entire GDP spending on arms and international influence, the question becomes, what the hell can we do about it? Washington, D.C. is increasingly concerned about the apparent decline in our position on the world stage. One possible solution is for America to ramp up defense spending. That, of course, will mean higher taxes. Oh, well, it is what it is. In part, this is happening because the U.S. is encouraging allies now to pitch in. At least we were encouraging them under Donald Trump. But Joe Biden, like his predecessor, Mr. Obama, spends most of their time, well, apologizing for America and making excuses for our declines. Americans seem to be unenthusiastic about major tax increases. Allies in Europe and Asia have resisted spending more on their own defenses, and that leaves us all weaker on the world stage. This is almost exactly what was happening, let's say, 80, 85, 90 years ago. You see, back then, we were in the midst of a depression, 
Not the recession that Joe Biden has brought on, but a full-on depression. We didn't have extra money to build better defenses. And nowadays, it doesn't matter how many aircraft carriers or destroyers you have, how many airplanes, how many tanks. This is all being done stealthily. Something like a tiny little drone fitted with some C4 explosive or some other explosive can be remotely flown anywhere and blow stuff up. Integrated deterrence is what the grand strategy is called. It sounds like a magic bullet. Theoretically, all America should have to do is threaten any of our adversaries with nuclear annihilation, and that nation would simply tuck and run, right? Well, unfortunately, because of cowards like Obama and Biden throughout the years, we've allowed our nuclear arsenal to decline while allowing other nations to have their nuclear arsenals increase in size and potency. And we're not even doing a whole hell of a lot to deter small rogue nations like Iran from getting nuclear weapons. Like so many things in life, there's a catch. Veteran military commanders, they seem to have forgotten or ignored these facts. Nuclear weapons are different from other tools of war. They're never supposed to be fired. With the exceptions of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the existence of nuclear weapons in our arsenal have been based on deterrence. But nowadays, you don't have to just worry about mutually assured destruction tactics with Russia or even China. When you have rogue nations like North Korea or Iran developing their own nuclear arsenals, and those nut jobs are not afraid to use them. They're already in a screwed position. Their economies are horrible. Their populations are already suffering. So why not enact that suffering upon everyone else on planet Earth? Imagine two teenagers getting ready to hurl, hurdle towards one another in their fancy race cars. As the vehicles are about to collide, the winner is the driver who stands firm, more willing to risk destruction just to prove that he didn't flinch. The loser, the proverbial chicken, is the driver who cares more about survival and swerves off the road in the contest. The grand strategy of things, from tests of capability to tests of will, is consequential, my friends. The broadening of the nuclear brinksmanship game of chicken to more issues and contexts plays to inherent American weaknesses, especially under gropey Joe Biden. Rather than stemming the tide of our decline, integrated deterrence seems destined to increase it. Chicken is generally not as favorable to the more capable country. It rewards those who are more willing to risk total destruction on both sides. These tend to not be status quo type groups. Those with the biggest stake, keeping things the way they are, are not preparing for what might be. Taking our current petty disputes around the globe to the brink of nuclear destruction favors revisionist challengers, people who tend to forget about what really happened 
1942, 1941, 1945. Remember, my friends, most people alive today have never seen actual, real war. And so you can look at it on television. You can read about it on the internet. But unless you've actually been there, you have no idea that war is indeed hell. And as of today, December 7th, 2021, the petty gamesmanship going on in the House of Representatives and the United States Senate and even at the White House, trying to make everything Republican versus Democrat are most certainly weakening America's military might. The Defense Authorization Act is sitting there in Congress, waiting right now to pay our soldiers, our sailors, our grunts, our airmen, our Space Force folks, our reservists. It's sitting there because the two sides are still worried more about whether there was Russian collusion, whether there was election fraud, whether Joe Biden is senile. He is, by the way. All of the petty, back-and-forth, social justice crap, all of the social programs that they're tying in to funding our military might are sitting there waiting for the tribe of Democrats to finish their little skirmish with the tribe of Republicans. Meanwhile, many larger tribes, Russia, China, Iran, and even North Korea, are waiting, watching, laughing, plotting, planning. But don't worry, guys. Y'all keep worrying about whether Letitia gets her welfare check or whether Todd is a supremacist because he happens to be proud of his white heritage. This is the Truth Hurts Program. If you decided tomorrow that you wanted to build a bridge across the creek on your own property, you would have to file an environmental impact statement with the U.S. government because building that bridge might affect some toad or some skink or some lizard or some fish or some plant. It might affect the water flow from your creek to a neighboring creek or a river or a stream. It's required. The law requires you to do such a thing. But see, Congress does not require similar routine analyses of their major so-called Build Back Better bill. That $2 trillion proposal awaiting the action in the Senate right now, the largest federal investment, is supposedly over half a trillion dollars to fight what they're calling global climate change caused by man. Before the House passed the Build Back Better bill last month, it directed the Congressional Budget Office to assess the impact on federal expenditures and receipts. They claim, the Democrats that is, and Joe Biden, that the bill will pay for itself, but the CBO's analysis was that it will not pay for itself, not even close. It would add billions upon billions upon billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, 
to our deficit. My problem, my friends, my issue with this is they are so hell-bent on passing this boondoggle, this massive tax-and-spend and tax-again bill, that they've written themselves exemptions to having to file such things as economic impact statements or environmental impact statements. This soul-destroying measure gets at the heart of the United States economy and will forever change our position in how we regard so-called social and climate issues in a very negative and adverse way. The Biden administration is doing such a poor job of addressing the massive myriad issues that it faces from the climate non-crisis to the real crisis at the southern border to the energy crisis he created. Our economic woes were not going away anytime soon, and as long as Joe Biden is in the White House, he will continue to do his best, whether intentionally or accidentally, to prolong them. Those new restrictions on travel to the United States from Africa were about the only good thing he did, and it wasn't even his idea. He was simply copying Donald Trump, who properly, effectively, and with justification, stopped travel from high areas of COVID to the United States. But no one's mentioning that. No one is calling out Gropey Joe Biden, except for a few select talk show podcast hosts on the conservative spectrum. The White House's policy errors will further exacerbate the delicate national recovery from both the pandemic and the economic crisis that Joe Biden and his administration have created, including, of course, worsening the supply chain crisis as well as inflation along the way. We are less than 20 days from Christmas, my friends. Americans are experiencing massive inflation in prices of products and services. They're experiencing empty shelves, Joe, you know, shortages of goods. They're experiencing massive, long shipping times. My own living room set was ordered in July, and I was told it would finally arrive somewhere around February. I'm glad we're not sitting on cardboard boxes and milk crates right now. We still have our furniture, but I digress. Right now would be the perfect time to simplify transport of necessary goods to the United States from our number one trading partner, our neighbors to the north, those pesky Canadians. More than $300 billion in truck freight came into the U.S. from Canada in 2020. The loss of any significant portion of this will further hike prices, cause more empty shelves, and of course, more irritation to the American population. You see, Canadian and international goods arrive through our border crossings, but the White House is now imposing stiff travel restrictions for all residents entering our country. They don't even have a COVID crisis in Canada, but gropey Joe Biden wants to rule with an iron brittle fist. (laughs) Get it? Tourists and visitors need to show proof of vaccination under his scare tactics, but now so do truck drivers. Most truck drivers drive in, back up to a dock, 
walk out, open the door to the trailer, and let the warehouse workers empty the truck. And then they close the door and the driver just simply drives back home. Very limited amount of contact with other humans. But Joe Biden is listening to clowns like the CDC, the highly politicized organization. And of course, Dr. Anthony Fucci, who doesn't know his ass from a hat. The new regulations take effect on January 26 will now even further ensnare the arrival of both raw materials as well as finished goods into our country. Consider more than half the freight entering the U.S. from Canada comes through trucks. This effect will be felt immediately. You think the shelves are empty and the prices are high now, my friends. Just wait. When this goes into effect on January 22nd, well, I shudder to think. Consider this, 20% of Canadian truckers are not vaccinated. And this comes a full year into gropey Joe Biden's piss-poor handling of the coronavirus. Two new variants and the general rollout of more vaccines that people don't want. The White House is continuously breaking its promises to shut down the virus and not shut down the economy by keeping the virus in the forefront and shutting down our economy, one piss-poor regulation at a time. Remember, this supply chain crisis is in its early stages. The White House won't admit it. Fed Chairman Powell is no longer using the qualifier transitory to describe inflation. We all knew that was a lie to begin with. Small retailers need to consider whether to hoard goods or risk running out of stock. That means they're carrying more debt. Think about it. The White House is trying to wallpaper all of these major severe crisis issues. They've even gone so far as to launch a phony Federal Trade Commission inquiry into Walmart, JCPenney, Target, and other major retailers who might, in their opinion, have a role in supply issues, rather than considering that it is their own economic policies that have caused the empty shelves and the rising prices. Many small manufacturers are not able to get raw goods or even some finished goods. Charities are having difficulty procuring Christmas gifts for needy churns. Biden's proposed tariffs scaremongering over the so-called Omicron Africa variant and these sham investigations by the Federal Trade Commission will all fail to solve the underlying root causes in the supply chain, the supply and demand chain of our economy. Gropey Joe's trade policies are compounding these issues. They just announced that they will double tariffs on Canadian timber. Remember, it was just a little over a year ago when the Democrats and Joe Biden were calling Donald Trump's tariffs racist and xenophobic. And now the Biden administration is doubling the tariffs on Canadian timber, you know, wood, building materials. They're claiming, the Biden administration is, that the Canadian government is using unfair practices because they raised prices Everybody's prices are going up, my friends. Governor Gretchen Whitmer's request to shut down the major natural gas pipeline from the Great White North because of her phony climate change concerns 
are also an issue. Piss-poor policy affecting American manufacturers and needed home heating fuel for winter is a strategic tragedy, a failure that not only harms the economy, but risks driving inflation even higher. But the administration is not instilling any confidence in a nervous market. Last week, the president canceled a statement on the supply chain crisis at the last minute. And gay transportation secretary Pete in the booty gag, Buttigieg, dismissed concerns over soaring gas prices, stating that Americans can get around the sticker shock at the pump. All they need to do is go out and spend 80 grand on an electric vehicle. He also blamed the lack of childcare options on the current supply woes. What? These people are insane. For the White House doing its best to sneak a major tax cut for the wealthy into the so-called Build Back Better bill, it appears that the concerns of everyday Americans struggling to pay their bills or simply fuel up their cars are being dismissed by the Biden administration. Although Joe Biden still thinks he's some kind of hero, a transformative president, He actually believes that the efforts of his last Democratic predecessor, Barack Hussein Obama, didn't go far enough, so he wants to make it worse. However, the aloof nature that the president shows towards kitchen table issues fuels an obvious disconnect between the Democratic Party and the working and middle classes in the United States. Concerns about climate change and tax cuts for luxury homeowners seem to be the concerns of the upper and upper middle classes, and not the electorate at large, at least that's what the Biden administration thinks. Remember, Gropey Joe tried to campaign as Average Joe, Working Class Joe. He siphoned off enough votes in swing states to get into the White House, along with all of the election fraud and voter irregularities that the media refuses to see. His policy initiatives, however, will only prolong the suffering not only from the pandemic, but the anemic economic growth, and will be a visible reminder of gropey Joe Biden's failings for ordinary people and will forever cement him as indeed the worst president in U.S. history, even worse than his hero, little Jimmy Carter. Gropey Joe Biden has history to reference to see exactly how bad these types of policies can be. He saw it under Carter, but he refuses to admit it, and he thinks he can do it better this time, making the same mistakes that Carter made, only compounding those mistakes and dragging you and me along with it. I guess that's about all the time we have for this edition of the Truth Hurts program, coming to you from an undisclosed location today. No, I'm not in prison. No, I'm not in the hospital. And rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Go out there and make it a great day, and we'll see you on the next program. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed are free speech protected under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Thank you.